On our final PCC Extra of 2020, Ryan John Tabasco from the Bar Talk Podcast finishes his list for the best in pro wrestling this year. Noe and Fine of Honey Queen shares his love for Pixar's soul and his disdain for Wonder Woman 1984. And the TVRatingsGuide.com's own Jessica Boggs shouts out on what show she thinks is the best in television for 2020. So join us right here on this latest PCC Extra. And we're back on the program. It's Gerald Glassford coming right back at you here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Thank you so much for listening. And he is back again. You got to go ahead and check out what he's doing today, wherever you get your podcast at the Bar Talk Podcast, because they talk around the bar at the Bar Talk Podcast. And I'll tell you what, I'm so happy he's here because we're going to be talking pro wrestling and the best of for 2020. I've been excited for this conversation for quite a long time. We've been trying to have some scheduling issues back and forth. Plus, also, I think that got him some extra time to go ahead and make sure his list, which I will go ahead and critique heavily. Actually, no, I'm just going to go ahead and say, yeah, man, or yeah, we'll have to wait and see. But it is Ryan John Tabasco. And I'll tell you what, Ryan, just great to have you back on the show. Again, check out the Bar Talk podcast. But he's here today to talk pro wrestling. And Ryan, again, it's just a pleasure having you back on the program. Oh, it's a pleasure. A pleasure to be here, Gerald. Always is. What's interesting, and uh, if we start moving on to the top three matches of 2020, mm-hmm. there's only one wrestler that's in all of those matches that even made my top 10 wrestlers of 2020 list. I had a feeling you were going to say that because there are some surprises, I think, that are going to be out there for some people. But there was one match in particular that I truly loved. I think you're going to mention that that did not feature two of the top 10 wrestlers on the list. So I understand that. So I, I, I had a feeling when you mentioned that, yeah, that's, that's going my way as well. So I want to hear your thoughts on tag teams first or, or best uh, matches. First. Whichever you'd prefer. Let's go tag teams. Let's, let's okay. say the matches for last. Let's go for tag teams. What are your best tag teams for this year? Uh, number five, I have the Young Bucks sitting at. Most most of my tag teams, uh, and I've watched. I mean, New Japan doesn't have a ton of tag team. Ma- I mean, they had they do, but as far as high profile ones, they don't have a ton. You mostly have Impact, WWE, AEW to look from for most tag team matches. And four out of five of my tag teams are sitting in AEW because I think they do it so much better. Uh, so sitting at number five is the Young Bucks for me. Uh, mostly mostly because of some of their matches they've had, especially with, uh, with FTR, with uh, Hangman and Kenny Omega. And, and they were, they were five-star matches, you know, they were, they were excellent matches. There was a lot of storytelling in them. Uh, so, so while mentioning FTR, they're number four on my list. The only reason I wouldn't, I wouldn't put them on the list. I would make them a close number six is the fact they didn't wrestle as much as they, they did in a normal year where they're working the indie circuits and whatnot, where they're blowing up everywhere. I know their matches in PWG are outstanding, and obviously the work yeah. with Japan before previously was great as well. I would put them very close. I would put them either five or six for me, but I I, I get that. Uh, like I said, if they would have just had a little bit more wrestling, and obviously they've got a lot on their plate because they're helping run behind the scenes at AEW, so their plate was pretty yeah. full this year. And now that they have a, they're having their run as tag team champions, we'll see where that goes for 2021. 
I would put them right there. The only reason I would keep them off the list was because be, just because of the fact that they didn't have enough matches compared to some of the other tag teams you might put on the list. But yeah. I think they're right there. I think I think they had the great matches, just not enough of matches, I should say. So my, my number four on the list is FTR, uh, Dax and Cash. They were They almost didn't make my list at all just because of how anticipated they were to come in and it kind of felt lackluster coming in. I agree with you. But I, I think that's that. I think that's I think that's more because of their wrestling style. They're they're not a new high flying fun to watch team. They are the epitome of what an 80s tag team was. Jim Cornette? Yeah. They were they were good. They're good though. I liked them. I liked Tully Blanchard partnered with them. I think that was a good move. I usually don't like managers, but I think him being paired with FTR was a pretty much a perfect fit. I didn't yeah. like Tully Blanchard with Sean Spears. I just felt it didn't feel organic, you know? Yeah. And, and obviously with, with Jake Roberts there, I'm not exactly seeing him in such a health state of mind right now. I, I, I don't know. His state of health right now is very concerning to me and to have yeah. him out there with Lance Archer. Yeah. You know, he still can cut a great promo, but I would be concerned right now. Uh, having him there is just, I don't know. Arn Anderson with Cody Rhodes. Cody doesn't really need it. I no. don't understand, understand the the thought process on that one. I think I mean, the uh, most of the thought process was Cody Rhodes. He, uh, he the character he plays has a pretty hot head, and I think Arn Anderson was there to kind of cool that off. Yeah, I, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that was the thought process. Well, it's still uh, I, I mean it's worked for a couple angles and whatnot, but I'm not sure if it was, yeah. it's great for overall because Cody Rhodes stands out on his own. But I agree with you with Tully Bancher being a good fit for FTR. FTR is a very solid in-ring tag team. They just don't push the needle for a lot of new fans, and I can see that yeah, because they're, they're so flashy. old school. Yeah, yeah they're, they're not. not they, don't, they don't have that pop and flash, you know. I, I, it's different with Oscar because you mentioned all the stuff that she does outside the ring and all the stuff that she does inside the ring, inside the mat. Yeah, uh, that does work and does get over. And and her style, even though it's in-ring base, it works so well. But she's she's like FDR in that she's very ground based. But whatever she's doing right, FDR I don't think is is following in that footsteps. I think mm. FDR just has this basic style that's set in the '80s that a lot of people would say would want to stay in the '80s. I like it, but I don't like it yeah. enough to be, make my top five list either. Uh, my number three on my list is the only one on there that's not AEW, and that is the Undisputed Era. Because you can't have a top five list without the Undisputed Era. There you, you go. Just, they, you, they, you can't. It's not possible. Yeah. They've done a great job this year for NXT. Uh, man, they've done a great job from the get-go. Adam Cole, uh, Bobby Fish, Kyle O'Reilly, uh, Roderick Strong, and whoever the fifth guy is, I don't remember. <laughs> but still, you're right. They've, they've dominated the NXT, and I've, they've been a, they've been keeping them alive. They've been keeping when, NXT alive. When they when they first brought Undisputed Era, the first thing I thought was DX and holy shit, does Adam Cole look like Shawn Michaels? Yeah, it's the first thing I thought. It's like there's the next Shawn Michaels right there. Uh, I think they need to be moved up into a bigger spotlight. Although I'd hate to see them moved out of NXT because it seems like main roster ruins tag teams and factions. Uh, I'd like to see more of a spotlight put on them though. They, yeah. They're huge. They, they would be DX level huge, NWO level huge if they let them run with it. That's the that's problem. just my opinion. You know? the and, and they won't let them run with it. No, no, that's the problem. 
we won't go there though that's another yeah. soapbox for another day and that would be two hours on that so at least my uh my number two pick is a tag team that's wasn't actually a tag team and that would be kenny omega and hangman page the, i agree with you there oh my god do they work good together and they they have what two or three five-star matches this year yep Yep, very good matches for them, uh, and the dynamic that they had as far as from the beer drinker to the the milk drinker, that dynamic. Yeah. I understand for a lot of people it brought Kenny Omega down, but I think it raised the I think it raised Adam Page uh, up. I think it raised Hangman Page up. I think it really did his status more than it brought Kenny Omega down because you saw Kenny Omega is got that. You know, he was given the the green light to go ahead and get the championship anyways. Yeah. They was a very good tag team. They had great matches. Yeah, I kind of put Kenny Omega on the back burner a little bit by doing it, but I think it was better served to put Hangman Page in a better spotlight. What he does with it or what AEW does with Hangman Page at this point, it's up to them. We'll see how well that fits. But I agree with you. That's a very good tag team, and they are deserving a place in anyone's top five. Like Hangman Page, he built a character this year. Yeah. And that's something that most other wrestlers can't say, either because they already have their character or just didn't do a good enough job storytelling through their matches. But Hangman Page, he built his character this year. I agree with you on that. Uh, So my number one pick uh, is the Lucha Brothers just because of the just because of the pure fluidity of how well they work together it's scary absolutely i I hope they aren't broken up because later uh lately they've been wrestling apart yeah and i'm not exactly thrilled with that i don't think it's in their best interests but that's my personal opinion on that yeah um honorable mentions uh motor city uh, motor city machine guns from impact uh, best friends from AEW, TH2 also from AEW, the North from Impact, Street Profits from WWE, uh, Grizzled Young Veterans from NXT UK. They almost uh, popped the Young Bucks out of my top five. Well, there you go. I mean, again, with the with the Young Bucks, I think it's just a matter of I wanted to see them in in more opportunities, and yeah. and I think that's that's the only thing for me. I think they were very close on my list, would or would be very close on my list. Uh, and definitely uh, think that's uh, something we'll look forward to. I know Nancy said get Kathy Long on for kickboxing. I'll see what I can do to get her on. I'll, I'll try to reach out. We'll see what we can do on that for you. But uh, that was a good list so far for your tag teams. Very strong right there. So you've gone through your top wrestlers of the year. You've gone through your top tag teams of the year. Now comes the moment I want to hear from you is what are the matches? The matches that stirred your excitement as a pro wrestling fan. What were some of the best matches that you saw this year? Okay, so my my top three. My number three was actually a pretty recent match. It was the uh, Omega versus Laredo Kid on AAA Triple Mania uh, Mm -hmm. of 2020. That match was fantastic. It was good. It was very good. It was fun to watch. It was fun to watch. I think Laredo Kid takes all day to set up his maneuvers. And I think Omega sometimes can take a nap in between them. So that's why I held it a little bit back. Uh, You know, I mean, even the ones where he's hits, that's the problem. When you take all day to set up your maneuver and that's the one you hit, that's the problem. Not the ones that you miss. Not the ones that you miss and the guy runs out of the way or rolls out of the way or whatnot. Okay, that's because you, you took so long. But when you take so long and you, that's the move you're supposed to hit on your opponent, that I find troubling. And I understand so my, these guys. So it my, just doesn't re, look good. 
my reason to have in that match is top three was more because of Omega because he carried that match. Yeah, he did. He did. And, and uh, I think Omega did it, great. If it, it felt uh, Kenny Omega in that match felt like New Japan Kenny Omega to me. Well, now you see him molding into that character. I yeah. mean, he, he had the match with John Moxley and it was a brawling match. And that's something that, you know, you couldn't see his style yet uh, quite well. It's kind of almost like a, it was a, a styles clash per se. But yeah. It, yeah, but it was still a pretty good match. But this is where you saw Kenny Omega really take it to the top. Uh, guess what? Bruno's here. Bruno's here. What's going as well. on, Bruno? Oh my gosh, it's like a, a just a Big Daddy reunion here, right here or not? That's cool. Glad to have you watching, Bruno. Uh, but you have another couple great matches here, Ryan. I wanted to go ahead and make sure that you get it. But that was a, a pretty good match, like you said, from Kenny Omega's end. Laredo Kid. When he's not trying to go ahead and, and set up those maneuvers, he was really solid in the ring. And again, it was a really good, I, want, I don't want to belittle too much. It was a really good match for me as well. So my, my number two is the one that I think you were waiting to hear. Uh, and that's going to be Will Ospreay versus Zack Sabre Jr. at Rev Pro High Stakes 2020. That's one of them. Not the one. That's the one. That's not one of the one. Although Will Ospreay would be is my top 10 wrestlers of the year. Uh, I will say that, but that was definitely a great match. Definitely something that uh, is something a lot of people should go out of the way to see. Yeah, that's a that's not really a match I could describe. You have to watch it. There's so much that happens in a short time frame. Absolutely, I'm looking forward to it, seeing it again. Uh, but it was something that was really good. I also want to mention uh, that there's a lot of good shows that need a people that people need to go ahead and, and uh, check out their ways to just do a Google search and it comes yeah. right up. Top best wrestling matches of 2020. I did that the other day, and you'll be surprised what you see because there's a lot of really good matches that you can see yeah. out there. And there's a lot of very tiny indie promotions that do actually host some bigger names from time to time that have some some pretty good matches. Mm -hmm. uh, so my number one uh, top three. Uh, singles matches is Okada versus Ibushi at New Japan Pro Wrestling Wrestling Kingdom 14 day one. Very good match. Uh, very, very good match. Enjoyable. I don't know, man. Once we get beyond five stars, now it goes six, six and a half, six and three quarters, seven stars. When we can get nine stars, ten stars. I don't know. That's gone crazy about there. But that was a great match. Not my match of the year. But what was it your was match of the year? Well, I, I want to hear Gerald's year. match of the year. My match of the year that got me the most interested. The, my match of the year that stirred the most emotions. My match that brought me back as to a little kid uh, to watching uh, every Saturday and Sunday. I think probably the best way to say it was the match that really got the most out of me as a professional wrestling fan this year was on NXT UK. And that was Walter versus Ilya Dragunov. That, that was match, a good match. That, that was match a very good match. That match was physical, more physical than any match this year, and more ma more physical than any match we've seen in quite some time. Uh, that match was they they beat the they beat the snot out of each other, and yeah. they that match it was truly something spectacular to see. That was my number one match. I know as well the the match uh, at AEW Revolution between the Young Bucks and and Omega and Page was a great match. I know also as well the parking lot brawl match on on Dynamite was a fantastic match and something that I really truly enjoyed. Even though I didn't like the ending of that one with Orange Cassidy stepping in, I, I still thought that was a five star match for me until that point in time. 
Uh, there were some great matches. Like you said, Kenny Omega and Laredo Kid. I just wish Laredo Kid, uh, you know, th- there were some things that maybe could have been talked about backstage uh, that I think that would have been better to make it from a four-star match for me to a five-star match. Uh, and then there were still, like you said, uh, Osprey and Sabre, uh, Sabre Jr. Uh, Osprey to me, I think either that or either him or Okada were my choice for wrestler of the year. Uh, and then, like I said, filling out my rest of my roster would be the likes of Sasha Banks would be on my top 10 list. Uh, Io Shirai would be on my top 10 list. Rhea Ripley would be on my top 10 list. You know, Asuka is going to be there in my top five as well. I think they had a great year. I think also as well, when you have, uh, you know, you have so many other great wrestlers that were, that had great years, like again, Okada, Osprey. There's so many great res- wrestling matches, even in a time and a period where we didn't have as many matches period overall because of what went on with coronavirus we still had a lot of great options yeah and you know what the quality seemed like it was there more this year than it was most others you know maybe that's well unfortunately obviously i would rather have the reverse and have a lot of matches and everybody be healthy and and obviously the millions of people who've been afflicted by this this terrible virus i wish they wouldn't have been but maybe the um, the fewer matches means a better quality of matches. Uh, so well, I mean, I it, it's true. less creative has to work on. You know, yeah. it's well. I mean, AEW doesn't technically have like a creative department, but you know, it's less for them to have to think on. It's less people in the shuffle. You know, so it probably makes for a, for a little better quality because you don't have as much to worry about. Yeah, absolutely. So I, but I still I would like the opposite because that would mean a lot of people would still be here with us today. Yeah. So, but I think the the pandemic did create the opportunity for wrestlers to get a little bit more rest in between matches, which may have created a little bit more exuberance and uh, performance in the ring. But again, I like to have the opposite, that's for sure. But that was an outstanding list. Uh, nothing short of an outstanding list by you, Ryan. And I cannot thank you enough for taking the time, almost 50 minutes in, to go ahead and talk about some great wrestling for 2020. Okay. But before we head on out, my friend, I want to go ahead and give it to you, hand it over to you. You host an awesome show, Bar Talk Podcast, which Nancy and Bruno know all too well about. But I want to make sure everybody else knows out there as well all the great things that you do with Bar Talk Podcast. So give me the heads up, man. Why should people check out the Bar Talk Podcast? Uh, we talk a little bit about everything, Gerald. Uh, things from I'll bring wrestling up from time to time on Bar Talk Podcast. We'll talk about you know, newer happenings. We try and stay away from political things uh, to try and leave everything a lot lighter and fluffier. Uh, so, you know, a little bit of everything. We're kind of a variety podcast. You know, uh, we, we did a lot about, uh, you know, UFOs and stuff like that over Halloween. Uh, we kind of went on a hiatus. A lot of us had some personal things going on. So we're looking to reboot back up coming uh, January 2021. Oh, they're looking forward to that. Some great conversations. But there's still a library of great shows that's available on your podcast outlet. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. Yeah, we have, I think, about nine or ten shows out. Yeah. There you go. So please check it out today. The Bar Talk Podcast. It brings the spirit of Big Daddy, who we want to go ahead and say rest in peace. Uh, just an awesome individual. So sad to see, you know, what happened to him this year. But his spirit lives on in the Bar Talk podcast and all the great individuals that support the Bar Talk podcast. So please go ahead and listen to the back episodes of the Bar Talk podcast and look forward to new episodes in January of 2021 with Ryan 
I tell you what, Ryan, it's been great having you on the show again. I cannot thank you enough for being a part of it, talking it's some great fun. wrestling. Uh, we might have to arm wrestle for the top wrestler of 2020, but outside of that, uh, I do want to tell you it's just an outstanding list. Again, you kill it every time you're on the show. I'm going to have to get you back on to talk more pro, pro wrestling and pop culture every time out right here on the Pop Culture Cosmos. And happy holidays to Bruno and Nancy and everybody watching. We truly appreciate it. And thank you again, Ryan. And safe and happy holidays to you and the entire family. Uh, you as well. It's been my pleasure being on. Always a great pleasure having you on the Pop Culture Cosmos. For the latest news and information, analysis and opinions on the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA, check out the Lakers Fast Break podcast today on wherever you get your podcasts. Wonder Woman 1984 is still the topic of conversation that's out there. As we reported on the Monday show, we about 16.7 million in U.S. domestically over the course of the past weekend, which has to be considered a success based on the limited number of movie theaters that are out there, plus also the fact that it almost delivered day and date, almost to the very day and date, although maybe got a little bit advanced, but almost to day and date that it did appear on HBO Max. So that's a pretty good win, and so much so, Warner Brothers is so happy with it that they are already fast-tracking Wonder Woman 3 and trying to get Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot to come back sooner rather than later, although Patty Jenkins has Rogue Squadron and I'm sure a dozen other projects on her plate as well. But Wonder Woman 1984 is the topic of conversation and here today to talk about Wonder Woman 1984 because you already heard my thoughts on it. It's a good man indeed, but you got to catch him everywhere you can at Hunnic Queen on Facebook and the Hunnic Outcast. It is Noah Ian Fine. And Noah, welcome back. And I know you got a chance to watch it, but I want to hear your thoughts on this rendition of Wonder Woman in Wonder Woman 1984. Well, thank you for having me on. You know, it's funny. This movie was shelved and, and pushed around a lot, whether it be during COVID or trying to go against an MCU film. Bottom line is this. It's not a good movie. It's two and a half hours as a jumbled mess, and there are comments that people like me were watching it at home, and people have been saying on YouTube, I walked out of my own house. The problem with this film is that as much as I didn't enjoy Act 3 of Wonder Woman, I did like the first two acts. I thought out of all the DC movies that had come out, this one was the most enjoyable, but not the most rewatchable. Then Gail Godot was in Justice League, and it went back to she just can't act or she doesn't have range. And this movie pretty much proves it. The plot deals with three different villains. You have a classic villain known as the Cheetah. Then you have another villain who came in the 80s, Maxwell Ward. And then you have Simon Stagg that it's debatable if he came in in the 80s or 90s, but he's a very small piece in this film. I know him mostly from a couple episodes of the Justice League cartoon that came out in the 2000s as well as the Arkham Knight video game. And they kind of just bring them in for the fact of bringing them in and they just shove them out the same way that they would do with um, um, another classic uh, DC villain from the Dark Knight Rises. 
and this is a problem. Also, for this two-and-a-half-hour movie, a good hour-and-a-half deals with Wonder Woman reuniting them with Steve Rogers. And yes, the problem is we have Steve, who is still the best part of this movie, and I love the actor, and I think he's great. But it's not about Steve. It should be about Wonder Woman and Gail Godot. The other issues that people have been complaining about have been Kirsten Wig as Cheetah. Now, Kirsten Wig can do drama and she can do comedy, and I know her from all of her famous characters in Saturday Night Live. But again, I'm not the only one who's been saying this, her alter ego, Barbara Maneuver, is pretty much taking from Selena Kyle from Batman Returns and... Uh, the character uh, Electro from Mason Spider-Man 2, as well as Poison Ivy from Batman and Robin. And that's the problem. It's that this is geeky. Nobody knows who I am. And now I have to become the villain to gain respect. It just isn't that good. The plot also revolves around this MacGuffin that grants you one wish, but the MacGuffin wants something in return. It could take whatever it wants. So if you say, I wish I want a million dollars, that's great. But in return, it could say, okay, well, I'm going to take one of your kidneys or you're going to be audited by the IRS. It, it doesn't matter if you're specific or not. It's not like Wishmaster. But that seems to be the whole thing is that you have the God of Lies, but he never makes an appearance. He's just in this... MacGuffin artifact that Maxo Lord is using, but the thing is Maxo Lord doesn't need this MacGuffin because he can use the power of persuasion. So they make him into this 1980s infomercial host, and he's a loser because on the outside he has this huge business LexCorp type of ordeal, but on the inside it's empty offices. He, he's lost a lot of money through bad investments, and I kind of like that. But then the problem is, is that Pedro Pascal, who plays Maxwell Lord, I just want to be entertained. And I don't want to give away the cameo of, of who is in the post-credits, but I couldn't tell you the plot because there is no plot. It's pretty much almost Batman Returns, where we're just going to make up things as we go along. And there are going to be too many plot holes about wishing stones and... and, and it's 1984 for whatever reason. I don't know why it's 1984. I'm, I'm trying to figure out the significance in that. Well, we know Diana is going to accept the fact that Steve Rogers died in the first film because she talked about Injustice League. We know he never comes back. We know that Hades, the god of the underworld, is not going to make a deal with her, which a lot of people thought was going to happen. None of that is going to happen. So it's all moot point. And as far as I'm concerned... It did feel like two and a half hours that I didn't get my life back. So I know I shouldn't be bashing Wonder Woman, but I think that this character still deserves not only a better script, but a better director. And there has to be a better actor who can really who reads the comics and understands what Wonder Woman is all about. I just want to be entertained. I miss the good old days of comic book superhero movies where it's just wham, bam, and action and some cheesy dialogue here and there, but memorable line reads that I want to put on a t-shirt. I don't think I'm asking much for that. He didn't like Wonder Woman 1984 so much, 
But he does have a fondness now that he's seen Soul on Disney Plus, as I did, because it's on my best of for 2020 in the category of movies. He might too. So it is knowing fine from Hunting Queen. He wants to go ahead and tell you why he likes Soul because I didn't even need to hear from him. I've seen his social media here in the past hour. So that'll tell you right there that his thoughts on Soul are a little bit more favorable than that. So go ahead, Noah. So tell me why you like Soul. It kind of reminds me of a Twilight Zone episode I saw as a kid, Passage for Trumpet with the late great Jack Coughlin. Soul seems to me that it's not only a Disney Pixar film, but it's also from the people who gave us Inside Out. Now, Inside Out, I did enjoy. I have nothing against it. But I felt that as much as it could be relatable to some, it wasn't so much for me. Soul is very relatable. As a New Yorker, having a dream, never happened, get depressed, but somehow you still live life to the fullest because life is what you make of it. And what is your purpose? And how are you going to put your first foot forward? 2020 has been a very dismal year. I understand that. And I really, it's hard for me to rave about Disney when, ironically, both parks are not doing too well. One is open, one is closed. A lot of cast members have lost their jobs. It's been a very tense year, especially since somehow their movies made billions a year beforehand. However, I do have to say that Soul is a very charming film. It's voiced... Uh, main lead, it, I'm sorry, the main lead is voiced by Jamie Foxx, that I know that some people have claimed that his character is a little annoying. I don't find the character to be annoying at all. But Jamie Foxx always knows how to take comedy and drama and make it work. And I kind of felt bad with some of other performances he had. I did not like him in Annie or Mesa Spider-Man 2, but I loved him in Ray. I loved him on Living Color. The man can't act, he can give me drama what he wants to and comedy what he wants to. He is definitely the best part of this movie, as well as Tina Fey, who plays 22. Now, the movie, the, I'll, I'll give you the first 10 minutes of this. He is a failed jazz musician. He has to work in an inner city school in Manhattan. However, he does somehow get a big break from a former student that is working at a jazz club, and I believe it's Angela Bassett that is this uh, jazz musician at the club. As Jamie Foxx is able to pass the audition, he plays this character named Joe. Joe is excited. He's using his cell phone in the 21st century, falls on a manhole. He is going to go to the great beyond, but he somehow escapes and becomes a mentor for a so-called 22 that has never really grown up. And the option is Joe can either mentor this lost soul or go to the great beyond. The rest of the movie is definitely taking bits and pieces from other out-of-body comedies that I've seen in the past. However, it's still a very sweet story. And I don't want to give away Act 2 or Act 3. And thankfully the trailer never did as far as I know. I will say this much, and the reason why I was clicking in the background, there's also a character named Terry 
Dennis's bean counter for souls that go to the great beyond. And he notices that Joe escapes and, and is pretended to be this mentor because he's trying to get back to earth. The bean counter Terry is voiced by a Brazilian voice actor and voicing coach. And I was clicking cause I was, I, I forgot who the name was, but it's this female uh, Brazilian actor and voice coach. And this individual is awesome. Uh, using, I guess, kind of a Cockney voice, a Cockney male voice, and it's great. Also, the animation for the souls in the mentor part of The Great Beyond. I was also trying to do some research. It reminds me of this Chuck character that I used to watch as, as a kid on Romper Room. I think it wasn't Harold, I forget, or, or Herbie or something, I forget what it was, but he was created from a chalk design when he walked. He was literally walking on a line. His feet would appear and disappear and always like talk like Charlie Brown's mother. They kind of use that type of animation that these uh, great beyond mentors are, are kind of like these neon figures, and the great beyond is not just fluffy clouds, and the soul's of the dead or the ones that are not being or yet born i should say uh they're kind of like these gelatin blobs but they're still cute and marketable and i'm sure that if the world hadn't fallen apart so much we would have seen these at a disney store or i guess they could be at disney world i have no idea the movie has a lot of rewatchability that's a fact there are a lot of heartwarming sections. Again, there's a lot of cookie cutting in this. Nothing terrible. Is it original? Mm, again, I, I just brought up Passage for Trumpet. But besides all that, unlike Milan, where you had to pay $30 for, because of COVID, this movie was pushed around, but you got to, if you had a Disney Plus subscription, you're already getting to watch this. You don't have to pay 30 bucks. It's a shame because honestly, I would have paid 30 bucks to see this right now. This is a very enjoyable film. And I know it's hard to pick a top 10 for 2020, but Soul would definitely be my top five. I do enjoy the score. I wish it had a little more of uh, famous jazz musicians in the background. It definitely would get anybody into jazz, and there are some really warm feelings and a lot of relatable feel feelings. And again, I know that the moral of the story is definitely trying to live your life to the fullest in a year right now where people did what they can do. But is it a feel-good movie? And the answer is absolutely. It is definitely a warm and fuzzy film. It's something we weren't asking for. But now that 2020 is coming to an end, this one definitely made me smile. And I think that Disney did it again. I don't know what's going to happen at the Academy Awards for 2021. I'm hoping that this is in consideration and I hope this gets nominated and I hope this wins. I don't know what it'll be up against. I, 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 again, I can't remember that many animated films that came out this year. I think there was another Disney film, but I can't remember. It's on the tip of my tongue. But I think there was something else that, that did come out. But be it as it may, yeah, Jamie Foxx is very underrated, as well as Tina Fey. And 
I, I didn't even recognize her voice until I saw the credits because it, it, it's kind of funny. There, there is a, a question that the soul 22, this lost soul is supposed to be a kid. And why does she sound like a 44 year old woman? And she explains that because in, in the great beyond or, or in the great before I can sound however I want to sound, which is actually kind of interesting. So they, you know, you have different variations of what the afterlife can be. And I got to say, between this and Bill and Ted's bogus journey, I was impressed. Very creative. Yeah, I, this, is, this is definitely one of these movies I can't shut up about. But again, it just came out. And not everybody, unfortunately, is probably going to have a Disney Plus subscription. Yeah, it was almost 100, 100 million do at the time we're talking about this. So I think a lot well, of people was, are going to be able to find it and also say good things about it because it's also on my top five list for 2020. Well, yeah, I, I just said I don't know if – okay, then that's good then because I was a little confused about who was still keeping their subscriptions or not. It was kind of confusing. But then I really don't want to give away X2 or 3 because I think this movie just came out on Friday as well. It came out, yes, that's correct. On yeah, it came out the same day as Wonder Woman. So those who are bashing Wonder Woman, I would say put that aside. What, do what I did. Put that aside. Watch Soul. You feel a whole lot better. It's one of the better Pixar movies. I oh, would yeah. probably put it in my top 10. In fact, it would be definitely in my top 10. Uh, it's a very heartwarming film and does have the tear jerking at the end. That's all I'll say for that. But mm. my compliments to my friend that works at Pixar, who, again, was part of a great team. The beautiful colors and animation is once again paramount in Soul. So it was a very good movie. I enjoyed it a lot. Enjoyed it uh, maybe even more so because of what's gone in 2020. But still had a great time watching it with my daughter. And I truly appreciate everything about Pixar's Soul. That sounds like you did too, and I'm very happy for you because Wonder Woman 1984 didn't meet it for you, but at least Pixar's Soul of the two movies did, and I'm very happy for that as well. So it is a very good film, one of my best of 2020, obviously one of Noe and Fine's best too. And if you have any questions out there about Soul or you want to share your opinion on the movie, please go ahead and let us know, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Well, thank you, my friend, again. You just had to go ahead and tell everybody about it. I truly appreciate you doing that. And I wish you, again, all the best. And you know what? If you got anything else to chat about, go ahead and let us know right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Video game box art, the stories behind the covers, in which we talk to the illustrators and artists who are responsible for gaming's most iconic images. Don't forget to check out Video Game Box Art, the stories behind the covers, celebrating gaming's most iconic images from the people who created them. This and many more from Rob McCallum Films. And we're back with the program. It's Gerald Glassford coming right back at you here at the Pop Culture Cosmos doing a marathon interview day because I'm interviewing people all over the place because we're all cramming it in for the holiday season. But I'm so thankful that I've got so many great individuals sharing their thoughts on pop culture and sports and basketball and all that other great stuff that we're doing for the holiday season. And I'm so thankful that, in fact, one of the people I have, she has returned to us. And I'm so thankful because it's been a while. She had to miss out on November, but she is back strong here in December. It is my good friend indeed. I want to just go ahead and say right now, it's a pleasure to have her back on the program. She's the gal behind 
thetvraisedguide.com. You got to go ahead and check out everything that she's doing today at thetvraisedguide.com. And also, Jessica's show, it is the one, the only, Jessica Boggs. And Jessica, you're here with your best of. Any quick updates you far as you can give to us today in regards to what's going on in the world of ratings? It is not a good month or year for sitcoms in a nutshell. Because we all know Superstore is ending after six seasons. <laughs> I didn't know that you're the bearer of bad news. <laughs> oh man, no, not again. I didn't know that, but I could see why. And I will explain that in my best of television. So, but I'm very hurt to see that, but I'm not surprised. And that's probably in my best of television too. The sliding in general with the ratings. It's kind of funny how when you take out all the animated shows, everything's fractional. Yeah. Except for The Simpsons. <laughs> the Simpsons. But yes, I hear you. So, On the drama part, your five top shows, like two out of three, basically, Chicago all the time. And This Is Us. Plus Grey's Anatomy and Station 19. And then the rest are, are fractional. But I know there was also a lot of other great television that you enjoyed during the course of 2020. So tell us about other things that really moved you in television for 2020. The Mandalorian, especially with that one final episode of the second season. Definitely uh, something that a lot of people should be wary of. A lot of people are talking about is the Mandalorian. And the Mandalorian has been something a lot of people have has garnered interest and, and still built upon its great success from the first season and has even done a better job this year in 2020. The last episode in and of itself has captured social media. Like not many other things out there captures things in social media. All the talk, all the reveals, all the spoilers that are out there. So yeah, definitely The Mandalorian captured the imagination of the individuals out there. Mandalorian is clearly one of the best series of the year. It has to be on everyone's top 10 list. For me, it's number two. Just truly an outstanding series this year. An outstanding season for them, per se. I cannot thank enough the everybody that Disney and Disney Plus and obviously Lucasfilm, John Favreau and Dave Filoni for creating such a, uh, a behemoth that is now dominating the streaming industry. But this is the talk of what's going on right now in pop culture is the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda aside. I tell you what, it's just been fascinating to see how well the Mandalorian has gotten over to the mass public at large. I the season out the way it went it seemed like a western of the week to me it, it patterned itself after those old westerns you used to watch on the 50s and 60s in television and that was portrayed in once upon a time in hollywood seemingly where it was a new adventure each and every week for the cowboys at hand it had that type of feel but it always portrayed it very well some great surprises along the way baby yoda i know grogu but baby yoda Please don't eat any more eggs. You're going to get yourself in more trouble. But anyways, I think that The Mandalorian in season two was a stronger season, which is what you needed to do. Even it season was, one. yes. Yeah, season one was so popular. Season one was so well received. I think it had highs and lows. I didn't like the Tatooine episode in season one. I thought that was very disappointing. But 
season two, there were no real down episodes. And that's the thing. The quality of the episodes were all there from very good to really good to great episodes each and every time out. And of course, it all culminated into the last episode with all those surprises and all those uh, ideals for spinoffs. But again, this whole series is spawning Ahsoka for Boba Fett, possibly. Could be something go in store as far as the extending of the Mandalorian universe as the, the Mandalore, obviously, for, for the planet there and control and all that. So that storyline. There's so many storylines that are being branched out from the series. It did a great job of doing that. It sets it up not only for the future of the Mandalorian, but for the entire Disney plus Star Wars slate going forward. You got the Rangers and the New Republic. You also have, again, Ahsoka series. You've got a possibly even a Boba Fett series, and you've got so much more when it concerns the Mandalorian. It did such a great job of not only telling its own story, but also expanding upon its universe and making Disney plus a viable source of entertainment this year. I truly want to give credit to The Mandalorian. And if that's the case, I hope you get a chance to finish all the episodes. I know Josh is still catching up. I know Marcus is up and running on it. He's already caught up. I'm very happy to see Jessica that she's seen it. I know Noah's seen it. I know everybody is, is in the process of seeing it or has seen it. So everybody needs to check out The Mandalorian. Again, Jessica, it's been great having you on the show, on the program. I cannot thank you enough for doing so. I want to wish you and your family a blessed holiday season and truly a fantastic new year. I want you to be safe, be happy and healthy. And I want to thank you again for being part of the pop culture cosmos. Thanks so much to Ryan John Tabasco, Noah Ian Fine, and Jessica Boggs for being on today's program. We truly appreciate everything that they do and have contributed over the course of 2020. Got to go ahead and check us out on Friday in the new year as we drop a PCC multiverse, which includes Josh Peterson coming back on the multiverse, sharing some of his great lists for TV, movies, and video games for pop culture. This has been Gerald Glassford. This is another beautiful day in paradise right here for the PCC extra we thank you for listening and here's hoping you have yourself a great